Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's October 20th, 2020. We're up to episode 75, Brad. 75 that's a lot that means there's been a veritable 74 other episodes yep and even some of them might even be good (laughs) let's not break the the train (laughs) yep well we can try anyway so Bradwood, software consultant for Auto Solutions, is joining me. I'm Gavin Pickin, a software consultant for Auto Solutions as well. And speaking of Auto Solutions, we want to thank them as being our sponsor. So without them, we wouldn't be able to produce this podcast. Um, right now, we have uh, two virtual workshops coming up. So we have a cold box uh, here at a superhero training this week. And then we have uh, the quick workshop coming up in november so those are two ways that you can thank Audis by uh, attending some trainings and we also have cfcast.com which is a, a great subscription platform that we've built that allows you to see free and paid content from Audis solutions and tune some community members as well but um that's uh, nice. another way you can sort of give back to to Audis solutions and um for all the work that they do especially with this podcast so i just realized that my starbucks green tea matcha latte actually like has the background through it. it's like a little green screen in front of my face <laughs> you've got green screen tea that's no, you cool. people that that listen after the fact you miss all this live theatrics yeah we get some pretty fun stuff with the video and we get people uh heckling us in the chat which is fun most <laughs> of the time quiet peanut gallery yeah so, so what's the have- news and events today Yep, well, um, one thing I noticed is that uh, Zach Spitzer announced that Lucy 5.3.7 Stable has been released. Woohoo! That's about six months coming. Yep. Uh, like, I think literally it's been a redonkulously long time since 5.3.6 came out. Um, now, it's a good thing because, I mean, 5.3.6 was a really nice, good stable release. Yeah, it um, has been pretty good. So, uh, you know, it really sucks when there's like a, some major, you know, problems in a release and then it takes forever for the next one to come out. So luckily, 5 through 6 was, was a good release, but that was May 18th um, is when that came came uh, out. How long ago was May 18th? I love how you can just Google questions like this. 155 days ago. I don't know what days are. What are days? What are days anyway? So that's... Uh, 22 weeks, five and a half months. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time coming, and they had two release candidates for the, the 537. Um, but you're waiting so, for 538 because of all your... Uh... Well, yeah, I know, and I'm already like, when's 538 going to come out? Yeah, so all my query query enhancements are in Lucy 538. Um, <clears throat> we, are, we have a, at least a, a couple, three people I know of already using my query enhancements in 536 because i had that patch on my blog you can apply to a 536 server and it'll add those enhancements um if anybody really really wants to i could probably merge all those changes into a 537 branch and run a build of that if anybody was wanted to use it but hopefully 538 won't take as long as 537 did yeah so the release note (laughs) should be available soon on the dev.lucy.org but uh it's just good to see it out the door so 
Speaking yep. of things that have been way too long in development, uh, don't you have oh, the Mailbox oh, release? Oh, I see what you did there. I see yeah. what you did there. Well, you were knocking Lucy, so I thought I'd give you a jab back. So tell us about uh, Command Box 5.2.0 Release Candidate 1. So it's the first release since June 1st. So I haven't, I didn't wait quite as long as Lucy to get my release out, but it was about as long. Um, <clears throat> Well, technically, this is just the release candidates. So, uh, yeah, so Command Box 5.2 has also been a long time coming. Um, my excuse is I was waiting for Undertow to merge all my pull requests. Um, but, yeah, so this is, you know, as a minor release from 5.1.1. Uh, but we've got some major stuff in there. I know I say that like every minor release, but I feel like we do so much fun stuff. Um, the big... Uh, things well actually you have it on the screen reminding me um i counted through all the pull requests and i think i had like seven different um pull requests from the community in, in this a part of this release so i'll, I'll just say those people are pete Freitag, kai koenig matthew clemente uh bobby hartsfield scott steinbeck daniel mejia and miguel matthews so uh big props to all the people sending me pull requests that are all part of this release i joked in my tweet that i didn't even have to like do any work you know everybody <laughs> was just writing these releases for me um, but I think probably the two, like, oh, geez, there's so, there's so many good features. I, probably the three biggest features that I really like in this release are I have server profiles added, which is like one switch lockdowns, like production mode, development mode. So you can take a command box server, and by default, it's like, boom, production mode, cold fusion administrators blocked, all the config files are blocked, you know, stuff is locked down. Um, and then uh, you can say, okay, put it in development mode. And now directory listings enabled, the cold fusion administrator is externally available. Uh, so kind of those, you know, one click lockdowns, sort of like secure profile that cold fusion did. Um, but this is kind of a start. I'm going to build on top of it. The second big feature really goes hand in hand with the first one, and that's the server rules. Um, and this taps into a really sweet feature of JBoss Undertow called the predicate language where you can uh, kind of write these rewrite rules, but it's a really nice readable syntax to say, you know, if the path starts with this, rewrite it to this, or send back this response code, or do a load balancing proxy to these backends. There's all sorts of crazy stuff you can do with the rewrite rules. Um, and so that's all baked into the server.json, makes it really easy to lock down and, and configure your applications. You can even do rewrites with them. And then, um, my third favorite big feature that's completely unrelated to those first two are the task runner lifecycle events. So just like Coldbox lets you do pre-handler, post-handler, around handler, pre-event, post-event, around event, all those kind of convention methods, you can do that in command box task runners now in 5.2. So you can have pre-task, post-task, around task, and then pre-target, uh, pre post-target, and around target. And there's a whole bunch of additional ones like on error, on success, on fa failure, on cancel, on complete. Um, just any of those methods, you put them in your task.cfc and they get called automatically by convention whenever that kind of you know life cycle of the task being run happens. And um, that was you know the necessity being the mother of invention there because I was doing a lot of task runner work and I was thinking, man, I really wish I had some easy ways to do stuff that runs at the beginning and the end and all the stuff. So, yeah, that's that's only like half of what's in Command Box 5.2. So since there were so many big changes and just new features, library updates, um, I decided to do a release candidate and stick it out there, let people beat on it, make sure there's nothing like, oh, my gosh, how did you miss this? How did you stuff. break everything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I, I 
I mean, we did that with 5.1, right? We like thought everything was stable, merged in some last minute code, pushed it out the door. And we're like, oh, look, we broke Mac servers. You can't run a server on a Mac because we suck, right? You know, super simple little thing, but this last minute thing we merged that we hadn't fully tested, which is why we had command box 5.1.1. So I'd rather not do that. So if there's a bug in 5.2 and you don't find it in the release candidate, it's your fault. I'm just going to say it. You should have (laughs) tested it beforehand. Um, I don't have a window on the release candidate. Just hopefully either I don't get any feedback or what, I don't know. Uh, but if <laughs> eventually when you get to a point where it feels like five, the 5.2 release candidate stable, people aren't reported anything, or maybe just nobody's testing because you guys all suck, then I'll just go ahead and make it stable. But now's your chance to, to, to push on it, especially with the server rules stuff. I, you know, we in, implemented a, non, a lot of new <clears throat> flags and nonsense in the server.json. And there's also some interesting logic that tries to kind of like guess whether or not it's in development. So if you have an environment variable called environment that's equal to the word development, which is a common cold box convention, then command box will see that and say, hey, I think I'm supposed to be in development mode right now. Or if your server is bound on localhost, command box will say, mm, I feel like I should be in development mode, mode right now. But, but, but like those are open for tweaking at this point. If you, know, if you guys test it out and you're like, well, hold on, this doesn't work because you know this reason. So give yeah. me feedback. That is the answer. Uh, John, you're the second person to ask that. Um, he, it, John Farrar asked in the chat, is there um, a release candidate image for Docker? Uh, the answer is no. If you begged and pleaded with John Clausen, I, I suppose he could probably create one. We don't typically make Docker image for, for command box pre-releases uh, just because we don't usually take the time to do it. It's probably like a single line in your Docker file, however, just to download the latest box um, if you want to to play with it locally in Docker, you know, it's, it's all backwards compatible. So if you want to play with command box 5.2 in Docker, I would just add a, a run command in your Docker image that pulls down the latest box before you do anything. That's my suggestion. Uh, yeah. However, on that note, I had been talking to John Clausen because several of the features I've added into 5.2, such as, you know, flip a flag, now it's in production or flip a flag, now the, the administrator's blocked. I specifically did with Docker in mind because John already has some features that sort of do the same thing, but using like the Tucky rewrite engine or some other environment variables. And so I'm already talking with John about how the next version of the Docker images can maybe capitalize a bit better on some of these new command box features. But uh, I was going to wait until we had this out and then we could see how to plug it in. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot in it. I mean, it's pretty big for, you know, just a minor release. So good to see lots of great stuff going on in there so yep and so that does have the new version of undertow like i mentioned that has three pull requests from team ortis um thanks to miguel matthews as well because he helped out with those so yeah we have ortis solutions code in the core of of jboss undertow which is pretty exciting and that's gone full circle now into command box so if you've broken it all then it's your fault no, it's the people who didn't test the release candidate. It's their fault, Gavin. Okay, okay. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, see, fill out the wall, see if it sticks. Yep. Okay, well, next up, um, we have a little update on CF Summit 2020. So if you want to find out more about what's going to be at CF Summit and how it's pulled together, um, CF Alive podcast actually had an interview with Keishore. So Michaela Light and Keishore talked about, you know, Basically, and I quote, this situation is not right for having physical events this year, so we're going to make it online. We're excited that it's going to be the biggest conferences for CF, basically. 
So it's uh, he's excited uh, to find out a bit more on that podcast. Uh, we have the link which I'll share in the show notes here. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm I'm curious what they're going to do. I know they're going to try and make it interactive and everything. So uh, hopefully they'll give you a few more insights in that podcast. So check that one out. Okay, I heard someone in the in the chat talking about uh, not being able to take this workshop that we're doing because the last cold box six here at a superhero workshop is coming up here so it's actually this week so if you want to sign up uh, you better hurry because it's uh, thursday and friday this week so just want to let you know there's a couple of spots left uh we're keeping them nice and small so uh, if you want to do that autosolutions.com slash events last chance to sign up and use podcast 10 to save 10 percent. so don't forget about the workshop okay Okay, so next up, uh, we also have uh, another Audis webinar coming up as well. So we just announced that. And this one's going to get some interest, I think. Uh, John Paulson's <laughs> going to be leading it. Do you know very, why? Very this applicable, might be I feel. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, John is doing From Mirror to Content Box, staying on the open source upgrade track. So a lot of people yeah. are talking about Mirror lately and obviously uh, uh, their licensing changes. And so we're looking at uh, helping a lot more people get over to content box from Mira. So John's got a, been working a lot of um, migrations. And so he's the perfect person to talk to you about switching from Mira to, to content box. So he'll talk about what's the same, what's different, how to go about it. And he'll actually convert uh, a site over during that uh, webinar. So that's coming up. Convert a website during the webinar. That's what he says. It must be easy. Yeah, I, I know that we we have a Mira importer. I've never used it because I've never had a Mira site, but so I'm I'm assuming he'll be using that. That's pretty exciting. Yep. So so yeah. So that's going to be October 30th. It's a Friday at 11 a.m. Central. So you guys can check that out. Go sign up at autosolutions.com/event/webinar, um, and that'll be great. Okay. So conference announcement, we actually have a new conference uh, from our friends over DigitalOcean. So this one I just saw today, actually. So they're announcing their first virtual global 24-hour community conference. So it's going to start at 10 a.m. on uh, November the 10th, and that's going to go for 24 hours, apparently. So I know that uh, Microsoft Build, um, they had one where basically it was a three days and they had live stuff all through the night for all the different time zones, and they repeated some sessions at different times too, so you can pretty much find out exactly uh, what you needed, you know? So uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about that one. I've already signed up. It's free to RSVP, and they have over 80 tech-focused sessions, lots of product announcements, and uh, breakout rooms for developer-focused. Uh, you know, um, so when you say 24-hour conference, does that mean like – the sessions go nonstop. The sessions go nonstop, and like I said, with the the build one, they had uh, live presenters in all different time zones. So there was always live content, but they also had replays um, of recorded replays, and they also have live replays too. So uh, the most popular content from the pre- the first couple of days were actually repeated at different times on the third day uh, for that. That's actually so. kind of cool. I mean, because it's hard to schedule a conference in something that's going to work for every time zone. Um, and so it's kind of like they get to like spread it out 
you know, half the time is the middle of the night for us, half the time is the middle of the night for somebody else, but repeating the content kind of gives everybody a chance to see it also. Yeah, and they did have some of the presenters uh, for the build one, they said that's my only experience of one of those all-night ones. But yeah, they had them basically get up early and do like 5 a.m. sessions, and then they were doing like 11 p.m. sessions. So they didn't want everything just recorded in those overtime zones. So I thought it was kind of neat. And so uh, it looks like a good set of speakers here too. So I'm not sure how they'll how they'll do it with pre-recorded and you know existing content, but it looks like Just a great a little distinct conference. lack of CFML content. That's the only thing I can find wrong with it. Yeah, but it's still relevant for a lot of our deploys. I mean, DigitalOcean is. I know a lot of people are deploying their orders deploys to DigitalOcean, so uh, a lot of great features, and they're really stepping up their their features, but without overdoing complexity like AWS. Which is why I like them, because you can do everything that you want to do, just it's a little different, a little simpler. <laughs> well, maybe not everything, but you know, you can do a lot. So, actually, you know what? I think uh, I think Python's the only. Oh, and there's a PHP. Python and PHP are the two topics that actually name a name a language. Oh wait, no, Go networking and Go. There's three of them. Uh, it still looks like a great conference. So if you guys want no, to find out no, more about it, no, no, needs confusion, Gavin. Needs more confusion. Okay, Brad, <laughs> you don't need to worry about it then. Uh, John Ferrar is asking if they have aggressive swarm support. Um, aggressive. I don't know, I don't know wow. about aggressive. Back swarm off, support. John. You're you're triggering me. <laughs> yeah. That's that's when you go to a conference. See, I have a I I want aggressive confusion support. I think that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> do you support swarm? Do you do it? Oh, I don't know. I'm scared. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Okay. So next up, we have um, some online meetups. So the first one is the online CF meetup. So we have a CF AMA, which is Ask Me Anything. Nice. So nice. Any, Charlie, like anything? That could be dangerous. Well, it's CF Ask Me Anything. So Oh, oh, oh so Cold Fusion. Yeah. Within it, the Cold Fusion universe. Yep. So it's going to be hosted with uh, Charlie Earhart and Dan Wilson. So they're going to have uh, their first ever Ask Me Anything session. So you can find out more about uh, anything called Fusion related. So whether it's about coding challenges or using CF features, configuration, tuning, deployment, security, the new version, recent versions, you know, or the state of CF, whatever. So um, that's going to be this Thursday, October like 22nd. Hall. Yep. 11 a.m. Uh, Central Time. So register on the meetup.com site. They've got a, a great group there and they've got more content coming out. I really so like is to it, see is this. Is it Charlie and Dan that are doing the answering? Yep, Charlie and here? Dan. So between Charlie and Dan Wilson, you got a lot of experience there. So you should have a, a lot of good questions. And since this hasn't asked me anything, um, they may even open it up to, to, to the audience too. It'll be kind of interesting. Um, so I'm curious how that's going to go. I know it's pretty popular... A lot of people are doing these and it's good just to yeah have more content and i'm great you know it's great to see the online meetup doing so well here and charlie said yes we will so i guess if you got a question you open up the mic and uh and go from there sounds fun yeah i like that okay so if someone's making a crack about our disc yeah we can't afford a bigger disc scott you're right <laughs> yeah it's it's the it's all we could spring for. That's why we need more Patreon supporters so Gavin and I can buy a bigger virtual desk to sit behind. Yeah, exactly. Screens. And you don't want us bigger, you know. We want us to move further. Actually, out. make make my coffee sit on the virtual desk. Oh no, I got it. No, not quite. Oh, this is hard. How do I? 
Do it just right. Well, Brad's playing with his coffee. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, last week, uh, the online CF meetup, I was actually there speaking about building APIs with ColdFusion Part 1. Start well, coding APIs anybody in today. that place, won't they? They will, apparently. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I did a, a step-by-step sort of API creation, and I went back to old school, like starting a starting your site adding some ajax responses or you know jake sort of like api responses from a cfm file looked at cfcs and sort of evolved over time adding all the different bits and pieces you may want to make your api more you know more friendly and more usable and we got up to the point where basically i said you know we show you all this stuff there's still all these other things you can do but why reinvent the wheel next time part two we're going to look at frameworks and how they can make your life easier and, and so but uh got so good I, th- feedback I think i had meetings it. i didn't get to to see the uh the meetup how did you haven't watched the recording the recording's no, up there I'm, too I'm so we'll busy. share that so much stuff to do yeah we had a, a you know a, a really mm. good feedback from from it in part one and a lot of people are interested in part two. Uh, Adam Tuttle wasn't there, was, you know, answering a few things, and he said that he's happy to do a taffy one at some point too, so we can do uh, the cold box one. So I'll show that in part two, and then he can show taffy, you know. But basically, it was good for just someone who maybe has an old legacy site and they want to add a little bit of an API in there without him to, you know, use a whole framework or start from scratch. And so it was a that's a good one yeah, for sure. That'd be so. cool. I mean, as much as I like cold box. I've only heard good things about Taffy, and I'm honestly still pleased to see Adam around supporting it. Um, yeah, he's, he's been doing a lot more lately. So, he's been doing some videos and stuff too, apparently. Yeah. And so, yeah. Because I mean, I, I've known just too many people that have built their own entire API framework because um, they were terrified of using some kind of, you know, off the shelf framework. You know, and I guarantee they spent seven times more <laughs> time than they needed to. So, geez, whether it's Coldbox or Taffy, at least, you know, take a look at what's out there and how easy it is. Yep, exactly. And so that's what part one was sort of, you know, if you're getting started and you build your own, these are some of the things you'd want to consider. So I kind of evolved to the point where I started using a response object and a lot of the things we're using in, in Coldbox one automatically. But uh, I did have one issue with it with um, I was running everything in Lucy. So I did go back and convert everything to be ColdFusion friendly. The only thing that isn't ColdFusion friendly is that ColdFusion wasn't uh, basically setting the mind type automatically. I thought it used to do that, so but oh, all the code is there, everything's there, so it should run on Lucy or uh, Cold Fusion. So if people want to go play with that, the recording is uh, shared in the show notes. And yeah, part two, I'll be coming back in November to, to take on part two. Nice. We also had a couple other user groups last week. So the Mid Michigan CFUG uh, had a virtual one with Nick Kyokowski speaking about code workflows. Um, and so that was a uh, pretty interesting building dev test and production environments with his AWS container service. Um, that was a link through Facebook and they use teams. So I don't see the recording yet, but I have reached out to them to see if they'll share the recording because that one actually, I didn't get to see that. I had a, a, another appointment. So I'm hoping that we can, you know, get that one online and check that out. And then the Seattle CFUG also had a meeting last week talking about integrating your ColdFusion app with the Thinkific platform. Thinkific. Um, Thank you. Nice. Yeah, I really like that. I've been using it a lot for some of my customers. Uh, it's got a great API, really simple, restful API. I don't remember what Thinkific is. It's like Teachable and all those other online learning platforms. Well, that's right. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. 
And so that was last Wednesday, October 14th, and the recording should be up soon. And then next month, uh, November, they have a deep dive into the Thinkific API. So they'll be doing even more detail. They'll be adding users, updating users, getting lists of, you know, people who are taking your certain courses all through the API. So, uh, if, you know, if you're looking at using APIs, any third parties, this might be a really good, you know, double session and basically getting used to working with them inside of Cold Fusion. So, um, so yeah, so the recording should be available for that soon. We'll share them as soon as we have them, um, but sign up for the next one as well. So a lot of great content. It's nice to see the, uh, the user groups cranking some stuff out, whether it's the online meetup or mid Michigan or Seattle. I'm yep. liking this. Yeah, there's a, a lot of good stuff and I was, I'm trying to get it. So if you guys know of any, you know, user group meetings that I don't know about or we're not showing on the show, please let us know. We'd like to include them. So just drop us an email, gavin at autosolutions.com and I'll throw them in the, the show notes so we can share them because a lot of great content. And that's one of the reasons we do this podcast is to get the information out there to more people. So while well, it is October, we got 10 days, 11 days left in October. It's Hacktober. Uh, it's Hacktober fest, <laughs> exactly. So um, there's still time to sign up for Hacktober. There's still time to get your pull requests in. You get four pull requests to a, a repo that is supporting Hacktober fest. You get them approved. And basically, you can get a free tea or a free tree. So they're uh, they're donating uh, or planting trees on your behalf if you don't want to do the the tree uh, the sorry the t-shirt option, the t-shirts are pretty cool so it's a tough decision I must say. So I've got a few of them I keep forgetting to wear them but I'll have to bust one out next week. Uh, I really enjoy their shirts they're they're top quality shirts for sure. So um, but Hacktoberfest is a celebration of open source essentially and trying to get the community together working with open source. So find out more at hacktoberfest.digitalocean.com and then uh, you can register. Um, they are making it a little harder this year because previous years people just spammed a bunch of GitHub repos trying to get their pull requests mm-hmm. to count. So this year you have to actually, as the repo owner, you know, basically sign up or you know opt in. And so if, if the repo is not tagged as Hacktoberfest, then your pull request has to be tagged as Hacktoberfest accepted. Otherwise, you won't get credit. So uh, they actually make you watch a video, which is pretty neat too, so you can learn a little bit more about the everything and make sure you obey the rules. Because if you get two bad just, pull requests, you're booted. No yeah, more. I need to send a couple more pulls. I actually, I have two pulls I sent to Lucy, which I didn't even do for Hacktoberfest. It's just pull request I was doing. I just noticed, though, they don't show up as accepted. Uh, they, they show up as in review. Yeah, there's a 14 day period, um, whatever that they have. They're so, all, both of these are already merged. What's there to review about it? I thought they just had 14 days to be merged, and no, once they were merged, they were good. No, uh, if the if the repo is flagged as that, they just have a review period to make sure that someone's just not spamming or whatever. If there's too many out there, they just have that period so it's not approved completely. So, so um, does this mean that? Lucy needs to take additional action on my pull request them to count, or does it just mean that once the timer counts down, they'll automatically well, count? Once the timer counts down, you're good. It just gives the person the repo time to, you know, because they don't, yeah, they have to be merged or tagged as Hacktoberfest accepted. So even if your pull request right, doesn't Right, but once merge, it's merged or tagged, like, doesn't that mean that's already been approved? Yeah, <laughs> I but, mean, like, 
they're, what, they're doing what it on are they their trying side. To prevent? They're, I think they're just trying to prevent on the other side, or they, I don't know, unless they get change, people want to change their mind. I don't know, actually. Watch the video and you'll find out. You're, you're not going to come up with an answer that's going to that's going to satisfy me, Gavin. Yep, I probably this doesn't won't. make any sense. But yeah, so there's a review period, but their little platform shows you how many pull requests are being, you know, accepted or rejected, etc. So anyway, you got 10, 11 days left. Um, reach out to to some CFML repos and see what they need done. You know, yeah, updating documentation is a good way to do it. Um, you the know. main Lucy repo and the Lucy Docs repo are tagged as Hacktoberfest. Nice. Um, Scott Steinbeck, you mentioned that uh, you can they can mark the pull request Hacktoberfest approved, or the main repo itself has to have the Hacktoberfest tag. Which in merged. this case, well, yes, yes, it can't just be sitting there open. Which is another good point. Feel free to reach out and bug the maintainers if you've sent something. Because one of these Lucy pull requests, I actually reached out and I pinged Misha. At Lucy, because uh, I was like, "Hey, can you go ahead and merge this?" Because um, I'd like to get credit for Hacktoberfest now that I realized I made it in the right window. Because he was kind of dragging his feet on it, so bug people as well. But I know I'm pretty certain CF Docs has the tag. I went through and added the Hacktoberfest tag to all the Ordis repos that I think I had permissions to add it to. So that was a ton of our Docs repos, our Cold Box repos, Command Box repos. Yeah, send them over. Yeah, it's good. And if you're new to pull requests, like they try and guide you through the process too. So, um, and then, yeah, Scott said he's trying to ping Matt Gifford about a pull, few pull requests. So it's, it's good to, to sort of give back. And I like the fact that they're being more aware with the opting in. So, I mean, I think that had to happen naturally because people were probably just abusing this like in mass. So, it's it's kind of a drastic move to go to a opt-in only, but I bet it cut down a, a crazy amount of just spam stuff that they had. Possibly. But people might still be spamming, but they make you watch the video when you sign up, so you do get some education. <laughs> uh, they make you start the video and like fast forward to the end and then click the button. But yeah, yeah, watch the video. Oh, I don't think watch the video. I just had quotes. it playing somewhere else, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Um Apparently, there's a, another conference Charlie just shared to the Percona Live online conference about My, MySQL, Postgres, and more. It's today and tomorrow at percona.com slash live slash agenda. Uh, so we'll, we'll add that to the show notes as well. Um, but thanks for sharing that, Charlie. Um, Percona's got some pretty cool database tools, don't they? That's the one that creates all the um, really slick, slick tools. I'm trying to remember... I'm not are. familiar with Percona. Like it rings a bell, but oh, they, yeah, they got some really nice um, database tools. I thought you showed me one of them once. Maybe it was Scott. Um, it was probably Scott. But yep, so Percona Live conferences. So here you go, October twentieth and twenty first. Tune in now. They're on YouTube, Twitch, and they got Slack. So pretty cool. But yeah, they got some really good tools. Um, a lot of great products. I think their um, their the uh, replication stuff was what I was looking at, and yeah, they've definitely got a lot of good stuff. So very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Charlie. Okay, well, I'll add that to the the conference list as well. But 
that gets to the end of our news and events, but we have a update on CFCast. So we actually have some uh, more CFConfig videos. Isn't it nice that CFConfig videos come out, Brad? You don't have to do anything. I know. I have nothing to do with these. It's fantastic. Yep. So Grant Copley has uh, released two more this week. So they're all part of the Configure Your CFML Servers with CFConfig series. And we have Managing Data Sources and Transfer Command. So every week we're just pumping out more content and very soon we have some top, top secret, probably not top secret at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we have some, some of our, our Salvadorian team releasing some videos. So we'll be having the first batch of, uh, Spanish content coming very soon here. So that's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Okay. So next up we have conferences and training. So as Charlie mentioned, we got that Procona Live conference today. <laughs> and then um, that's today and tomorrow. And then later on this week, we have our Autis workshop. So we have our two-day workshop led by Luis Mahano, the box king himself. So that's going to be on October 22nd and 23rd, called Box 6, Hero to Superhero. And that's going to be the API edition with lots of BDD testing, apparently. Um, next up, we have a, a two-day workshop in November, and this is the much-awaited, much-anticipated quick workshop led by our very own Eric Peterson. John, you're in the chat. Have you signed up for the, the conference, uh, the workshop yet? <laughs> it is on autosolutions.com. You can go to the events page and sign up right now. We shared the Eventbrite link last week. So we expect you there, John. If not, we expect a doctor's note. <laughs> doctor's note you better have covid man if you're not there wait no don't don't do don't that do we don't want that <laughs> no and then uh, remember if you're using uh <clears throat> using the podcast 10 code you'll sign up and save 10 percent on our autos workshop so don't forget that okay we have a little chat going on here let's see what everyone's been talking about so a lot about percona and then john has some suggestions on cfcast so he said there's no way for people to unsubscribe. And he Why says, would you ever want to unsubscribe? Yeah, John, it's a black hole. Once you're in there, it's just content forever. <laughs> you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. Yep, and then he wants reviews and feedback. So uh, the, we basically decided to use the, the contact form right now for feedback um, and reviews. We're looking at adding some um, like discus or something like that. But a lot of times they get uh, out you know, they get outdated pretty quick with the comments. And if we update the videos, then the comments are no longer relevant. So we haven't added them yet, but uh, we'll definitely give them the feedback, John. Don't worry about that. Hotel box. Discuss. <laughs> John doesn't like discuss because of the, um, the license change they had a while back where they had to accept, accept something. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of discuss, but for different reasons, we, we debated about whether or not we should put it on forge box and we did it and it just turned into a support forum where there shouldn't be a support forum. Everybody's asking for help. You're like, yeah, this isn't the place to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. Yeah. Well, that's similar with the videos, you know, but we're, we'll take it under advice. Under okay. Advice. We also mentioned the deploy digital ocean. So they have their, their global 24 hour conference, November 10th at 10 AM Eastern. Um, so, don't forget to RSVP for that. And they even have hourly goodie giveaways, which is pretty cool. Dang. 
Yeah, I like, like that. check under your chair and see if there's a golden key or something. Yeah, that sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, and then uh, after that, so a week later, we have the Adobe CF Summit 2020, November 17th through the 19th. It's online free, and it's going to be amazing. They got to do something pretty awesome for the 25th year of Cold Fusion. I yeah, remember no, that's that, a big milestone. Yeah, 2020. Oh, well, 2020. And, and the after 20, 20 year, years. Yeah, yeah I remember that year. We had a big old party. They had DJs, and they had those mm -hmm. cool hats, and everybody looked gangster. Um, do you still have your mug, the like CF20 mug? Um, I say a mug. It was a glass. It was like a, a clear glass with like a, a thing printed. I don't know on if it. I got that one. I got the hat. I don't know if I got the mug. I'm pretty certain that was from from the twenty year. I have it downstairs. I use it all the time. Unfortunately, mm. the the like paint is like coming off. I say paint. It's like it's like printed on somehow. It's not etched in. Um, well, I don't know if I ever got that one. I, I know I got the hat. I've still got that somewhere. Uh, but no, I don't know where the hat is. I probably have it downstairs in my closet. I definitely. Yeah. Definitely got the hat. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, so so they're gonna you. have to have like a twice as big shindig for the twenty sixth year when we're all <laughs> you know back in person next year in Vegas again. So yeah. Okay, so Adobe uh, Cold Fusion certification is also available online. So if you're wanting to do that, uh, I don't believe you have to wait for a date. So you can register. Introductory offer is four ninety nine. So you can get that training. There's 50 plus videos online over 10 hours of content. And then there's uh, the online uh, multiple choice quiz at the end. And if you, if you pass, you get the, the, all the prizes and glory of being a, a Adobe Cold Fusion certified developer. And you also uh, get a cool badge when you're on the Cold Fusion portal. So that's the important thing, right? <laughs> it's all about but, the street cred, but yeah, so uh, they, they do list the developers there too, as well. So, you know, if, uh, it's a little, little extra feedback, but it's a lot of good content in there too. Um, we helped with the CF Summit training last year, and yeah, it was, it was good. I learned a few things about, um, you know, some of the new features, etc. Um, so there's definitely good content in there. You'll learn something for sure. Okay, and then uh, I guess you can talk about the next thing since you're going to be presenting. Apparently, well, look, I'm on the website and everything. Ooh, yeah. they even came up with a description for my talk. I don't know what it says. Data translate. introductoria esta innovadora. Something about introduction and innovation. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so in, I, ITB LATAM. So that's December 3rd through 4th. And they did it in person last year. I, I wasn't there. I think uh, I think John Clausen was the, the, only, the only gringo who actually went down in person last year. Yeah. Um, but this year, yeah, it's going to be a live virtual conference in Espanol and Inglés. Yep, so that's um, new. Is, I didn't is this know it was price a typo? $7? Nope, that's the price. Uh, we wanted to make sure it's uh, region-friendly, and obviously the cost of the dollar doesn't go as, as far or goes way further, I guess, down there. Uh, they, they don't earn quite the same, so we wanted to make sure the price was, uh, you know, and the right earning power for them. So $7 will get you a, a subscription for two days of virtual conference. So if you guys are I, too I cheap for the normal one. Uh, <laughs> and it looks like we're leaning heavily on our uh, El Salvadorian team, which is awesome. Yep. Miguel, so there's going to be a lot Sonia. of, uh, a lot of great Spanish, but there will be a couple of sessions in English because uh, Brad and John's uh, Spanish is not so great. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to do is, um, 
I'm be like, hola, me amo Brad. No, um, I'm going to like <laughs> talk in English, but then my slides will all have the Spanish subtitles. And I think there'll be people helping translate. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work because I usually talk way too much to fit all those words in the slides. So we'll have to work on that. But the, the goal is to be uh, Spanish and English. So, you know, people who uh, don't really speak English are still getting, you know, good stuff out of the topics. So, yeah. And I, I know of course, that my there... talk is, is command box. Yeah, there's obviously, you know, a lot of people uh, in El Salvador do speak English and they're just more comfortable with Spanish. And so they can still enjoy the content, but we're, we're trying to really focus on, you know, that market, uh, especially with the roots of a lot of, you know, especially the oldest team. I've got a, a lot of Latam flavor. And uh, yeah, so we're supporting that. And the CFCast videos is just another way to support that. So we're, we're trying to spread the, the word. And one of the missions of Audis is to, you know, spread Cold Fusion to a bigger community. And this is uh, one of the ways we're doing that. So there you go. I just translated my talk description into English to see what it said. I have a feeling <laughs> Paulina probably wrote that for me. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> good to me. I'm not going to complain. Yep, so that's the our rundown of conferences in uh, 2020. So if you guys hear of any more, let us know, and we'll add them to the add them to the list so people don't miss out. And, uh, yeah, a lot of great content coming. But next up, let's talk about blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. We've got a lot of good content here, too. So, We're only like halfway through the show notes. I Woo! know. Whew, I know. Man. I knew it was going to be a long one. Brad's here. <laughs> So first up, we have that uh, podcast that we mentioned. So Michaela and, and Keyshore here. So don't forget to go check that out. I have not listened yet, but I'm going to be tuning in later today to try and catch up and see what else they're going to have at CF Summit. And we also have some stuff from our friend Ben. So let's see what Ben Adele is talking about today. I so, saw this on Twitter, but I didn't get a chance to read it. Yeah, so he wants to check and see if there's a way to tell if a struct is of type ordered or linked in Lucy. So it was kind of interesting because... I don't um, think CFML gives us a method, but I assume he's going to get the, the Java class name off of it. As, yeah, so uh, he, he mentioned a couple of different things because um, and previously talked about how ordered structs are great for MongoDB interactions because the order does matter. And so that was, you know, one of those things. I've done done work with APIs before where the order of your, your content really matters and it doesn't take an array. It takes a struct, but it has to be the right order. Very annoying. But uh, mm -hmm. order structs gives you a key to sort of solve that. And so what he wrote a couple of different methods. He has is normal struct, is linked struct, and then is weak struct. And so I was like, I don't even know what a weak struct is. So uh, it's a struct that's not very strong. I understand that, <laughs> but yeah. So, so he used a couple of different methods. So he's using a, a struct of type and then, yeah, he dives into some, some deeper stuff, but, um, he's looking at using the Lucy runtime type struct, you know, looking at these different types and then basically creates this function. And so, so it looks like, the Java class, so it's looking like the, the, the main Java class doesn't change between types. They're all Lucy runtime type struct impl, uh, which in Lucy, you'll, uh, Misha uses a lot of interfaces. So it'll be like a struct interface. And in the actual implementation, the concrete class will always have impl at the end. So struct impl is the actual uh, implementation. Um, 
and the interface usually lives in the loader. The implementation lives in the core. But anyway, that's just how Lucy works. So I see that basically, if it's a struct impl instance, then he calls a get type method on it, which must just be an underlying part of that. I and mean, that's actually how he differentiates. Nice. Yeah, so you got an undefined type, a weak type, a link type, a sync type, a regular type, and a soft type. And so... You know, this is interesting because I kind of feel as though Cold Fusion <clears throat> should have um, should have a, you know, a first-class method to do this. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we, we kind of... This happens now and then where, you know... There's stuff that Cold Fusion does that, you know, is really being done, you know, with behind the scenes Java magic. Uh, and, and we don't always expose to the Cold Fusion developers, you know, the tools they need to be able to tell what a particular, um, you know, data type is. Um, but yeah, if you can declare a struct of a different type, presumably there should be a way to be able to tell what that is after the fact. That's actually a first class feature of a language, which I'm sure would be very easy to implement. Yeah. It makes me tempted to put in a an enhancement ticket, or just to look and see if there's one already. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it makes sense if you're you're making them and you need, especially if you need to require them. You know, like some things would be useful to have that as a requirement. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. think it through. Uh, just uh, the other day, what was it? Oh, um, I was fixing something in CF Config. For, for Misha, actually, the Lucy lead developer, because um, he's using it now uh, with his job. And I already used um, ordered structs inside of CF config just because that's naturally what Lucy gives you when you deserialize JSON. It gives you ordered structs, so you, you keep the order to the JSON, which is really nice. Adobe ColdFusion engineers hope you're listening because you don't do it and you suck. Well, you don't suck, but ColdFusion sucks for not doing it. Anyway, um, and Misha asked me if I could declare several other structs that CF config just declares to you know throw data in while it's processing. Um, he asked me if I could declare them as ordered structs as well. Uh, oh, it was for for custom attributes for data sources because when I saved his mm. his custom data sources stuff, it would all get jumbled together and written out of the config file in a random order, which just it's annoying because you import your config and there's a bunch of changes in the config file that are really just random you know nonsense. And so I went through and I made all of the structs in the Lucy implementation be ordered just so you would get. Um, you would get support for that. Uh, Charlie, I'm not talking about support for order structs. I'm talking about the deserialized JSON function. In Lucy, when you hand JSON to a deserialized JSON function, you always, always get back an order struct, period. Um, that way, when you reserialize it and you write it to a file, the file doesn't change. That's how command box, when it's modifying your server.json and your box.json and your cfconfig.json, it doesn't reorder the file and rearrange stuff all the time. Um, because of just, you know, whatever random order Cold Fusion decides to, to pull the keys in, uh, mm. which just makes a, a ton of sense. Like, I mean, why wouldn't you do that when, once you think about it? But anyway, uh, this whole talk of, of, you know, order structs just was making me think of adding more order structs into CF config because it makes a lot of sense when you're reading configuration and writing it back out that, you know, stuff stays in the same order and you don't get that with a typical um, struct. Yeah. Anyway, I like stuff like this. This is useful. <laughs> Okay, so next up, we have a blog post from Will DeBroom, and this is an interesting one. He actually brought it up in the Box Team Slack, and then he uh, blogged about it too. So, CP Security and JWT, when are you authenticated? 
So this was when an interesting. Yeah, so this is that's a, like an existential question. I don't know. Am I authenticated now, Gavin? I'm beginning to question this. Certified, certifiable. <laughs> but, <laughs> don't know about authenticated, but um, yeah. So basically, he was uh, working through and just working through a problem, and then he, a weird edge case came up. And so basically, some of the functions inside of the JWT and CB security, when you're working with them, um, you can. You know, it'll check to see if someone's authenticated. You can see if someone's logged on. But some of the other methods you use to check to see if somebody is actually logged in or not will actually log them in. If the, the you know, the, the JWT the token what? is you, like, actually You accidentally log someone in? So kind of, yeah. And <laughs> kind of. So that's what he was getting at. So basically, when you're coming in here and you're passing the token it'll actually log them in because it passes the token, checks to see if they're actually available. And in that process, it would log them in. And so he gave a lot of great data, which I really like about, well, he's, you know, very detailed and, and that's really good. And he asked if we should put a pull request in for this. And I'm like, like, this is a very good question. Like it's, you know, it's something that Luis and we should really talk about because there's a lot of different pieces going on here. Because one of the other things is this is logged in that's actually bitten me not with not with this uh cb security i actually had a previous api that was using this and it was you know it was working pretty well but i had this uh code where essentially it would log them in at the start of the process when you check to see if the jwt was good and at the end of it it would log them out yeah. and the weird thing is that depending on how you're storing that login log out and what you're doing I had some, you know, asynchronous type code running where I would upload 10 or 15 different things at once, but that, that logout would fire across and I didn't think that it had cookies enough to actually keep a, a connection, you know, oh, to keep a session. it was screwing with other threads. And it was screwing up other, like, other requests. And so, oh, wow, and, and here you can, uh, he actually talks about how there is a setting on where you want to store your session storage. But he was saying, like, since it's, you shouldn't really be storing as a session, it should really be called where do you want to store the user ID and, you know, in a cache or something. But, yeah, because you don't want to have sessions on your API, which is, con you know, kind of a pain. Because if you have a site that is a site that allows normal logins and APIs and someone logs in and you want to use the same code to check if they're logged in, you get, you get to some interesting sort of, you know, edge cases there. So... Very interesting. interesting blog post. If you're using CP security and JWT, I would definitely recommend reading through it so you understand what it's currently doing. But this is something that Luis and, and I and probably a couple other members will probably should talk about and figure out what we actually want it to do and you know what's the best for it to do and then go from there because it is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, it's and like I said, one of those log in, log outs. Like that's fine if it's basically storing it in the request. You know, but if you are storing in a session because you, you're maybe your security service looks in the session to see what's there or, you know, or, or whatever, then yeah, logging in and logging out will actually cause unexpected side effects, <laughs> as I found out. <laughs> so, but yeah, so interesting blog post. And like I said, we definitely need to look and see, but I wouldn't think the past token would log them in, but I guess it does. So it's. That's what he was finding anyway. So pretty interesting. But yeah, um, the thing is, yeah, what what do we expect to happen? And, you know, why did we do it the way we did? So I know that uh, Luis, Luis will definitely want to discuss this before we just start making big changes there. So but yeah, so 
thanks Will for sharing that one so what do we got next Brad uh, a live stream <clears throat> from Matthew Clemente he's done a bunch of live streams recently this one was adding a CFMO language definition to Prism JS learning by trial and error part two yeah yeah, I didn't I like, watch any of it, but I saw it on Twitter. It looked pretty interesting. Yep, I like the I like the fact he's still sharing these, and I like the trial and error ones too. Like whenever I do a training, I usually purposely add stuff in that breaks just to show people mm -hmm. that you know solving the problem is usually a better learning experience than just having it work from the beginning. So I learn a lot from people making mistakes, and I learn a lot from my own mistakes. Well, hopefully I do. Um, but yeah, so. I always like seeing those, so thanks, Matthew, for sharing that. And then next up, we actually have a, a blog post that I got from Adam Cameron's blog. He was sharing a blog post from one of his friends that, <laughs> so, um, but Ben Brum, but he was talking about hierarchical data in SQL, the ultimate guide. So, interesting. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting. And, you know, quite often we have those recursive relationships. You know, we have something like, you know, yeah, parents, children, etc. Mm -hmm. And so this apparently walks you through what is it? Adjacency list, nested sets, flat tables, bridging tables, etc. So all these different options and why you should use what and maybe what you should use. And so, yeah, I thought this was a pretty good blog post. Uh, I started reading through it. And I'm like, I'm going to bookmark this one for sure. Because, yeah, it's something we come up against quite often, right? Where you got parent, children's and... Especially the same yeah, type, see, like employees I've never and used any of the any of the built-in stuff that some of the database engines have for doing hierarchies. Uh, I've done a lot of like parent-child list, um, pretty common, and I've done several implementations that used. I mean, we, we called it like a well, it was a nested set model. We called it like left-right node. You know, where each record would have like a a left and a right number that would point to like you know the parents. Um, that was always cool because you can easily get like ancestors and descendancies, but that model always sucked because inserting, you know, a single record could end up updating thousands of records. So I like seeing these design patterns all laid out though. Yeah. It really covers a lot of them. Yeah. Here we go. Nested set. He has a whole section on it. Yep. And he's got the MySQL and Postgres and Oracle versions of some of the stuff too, which is neat. I like to see the differences. So yeah, I mean, it's a long blog post for sure. I'm not Holy even halfway cow. through scrolling here. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he gives you the pros and cons for each one. Um, oh, a uh, SQL anti patterns book. Wow. Nice. Here's your nested set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, this is definitely one I'm going to bookmark because it's going to be too long for me to go through. Uh, it would be nice and, to re-review those. I remember when we, when we first had the discussion when we were building Content Box, and we were like, you know, okay, it's not going to be Blog Box. It's going to be a content box. We need to have pages. Okay, they need to be able to be hierarchical with, you know, end levels deep. And then the next question was, how are we going to store that? <laughs> you know, and how are you going to find all the children? How much yeah. of that do you denormalize? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot it, of good stuff in there. It, as much as I hated the homework at the time, uh, this was the most interesting stuff I had in my computer science major, I think, was just data structures and talking about models and things. It, it was really boring at the time because I didn't 
it, it was it was so theoretical. It was like, I'm never going to use this. This is dumb. What is this? <laughs> um, and then you start writing like apps and you come across these design patterns and you're like, oh, oh, so that's where I would use, you know, an adjacency list or a nested set model. But Yeah, I still got a couple of my uh, old books, the Gang of Four, you know, software engineering oh, yeah. design patterns books. I actually bought them from New Zealand. So <laughs> there's a few of them. I are saved. they Are they written with a New Zealand accent? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you can tell until someone reads them out to you. But, but yeah, so I thought this was a really good blog post to share. So it was really cool that Adam Cameron posted that on his blog. And he says he hasn't killed his blog yet. He just doesn't have anything worth writing. <laughs> so <laughs> some people might agree. <laughs> okay. We got another one here from uh, Benny Dell. And so this one's uh, on his little email series. Um, using postmark and so in a previous version someone told him about postmark tags and how to use them for grouping transactional emails so before he was writing his own like headers and then he was sort of like trying to pass them out but if you use a postmark tag which is basically a meta tag you can use the cf uh, mail param for it and if you actually tag it with a certain prefix so x dash pm dash tag um, then you can actually set up things and the cool part with it is it'll actually auto create the interface for you so it'll actually have the tag listed here in the postmark interface and it gives you a quick filters you can actually will display the tags you created so they use it for transactional email so if they have a daily digest or a password reset or a welcome email and so now they can quickly easily filter all those emails that have been sent out by that type so you know tags are a nice easy way to do it i know other providers allow you to have more than one i think postmark you're only allowed one tag but a lot of the other ones will have multiple tags that you can do or categories depending on what they are. Um, but he was, I see, know, uh, really I see Ben's pushing hard on the Lucy tag and or tag Island feature. Yeah. He really likes that. Yep. And somewhere he's just like nothing special in the code except for the really cool Lucy Island tag. <laughs> so in the <laughs> yeah, script he, CFC, he puts in a, a block boom. of output. You know, I've actually found myself using that a bit more. Um, the tag islands I wasn't opposed to when they came out. I just thought I'd never use them. It was like, meh, whatever. You know, I'd rather see if include a view. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, I've actually come across a handful of cases. And sometimes it's just because I have a big old chunk of legacy CFM and I'm sticking it inside like a task runner. And I don't want to convert it all to script, but I want the task runner to be in script. And so, you know, I just take a chunk of logic and just, you know, stick it in tag island and like, hey, it works. You know, get it out the door, refactor it later. Um, or even you tiny examples like this. <laughs> I know. Uh, examples like this where it would be like almost a little silly to break out a separate CFM file just for like seven lines of code, you know, and CF included. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's nice and clean. It's very clear, all in one file. I, I kind of like it. Yep. And look at him using in code for HTML, making nice, yeah. safe HTML. Good on you, Ben. Yep. Very cool. Okay, next up, we have another little update from Zach Spitzer. Uh, he's done a new memory scope report inside the Lucy what? Performance Analyzer. So you can actually see the size of server, application, and session scopes. And so, well, that's nice. Yep. See, that's something that's it's really always been elusive for ColdFusion developers. You know, Adobe ColdFusion years ago added the memory tracking stuff um and you know it was like don't turn it on it'll murder your server at least in production <laughs> um you know and i can take a heap dump 
of my server, but, you know, being able to like pick apart, like how much of this nonsense is, you know, a session scope or an application scope. This is a, this is a pretty cool little thing. I'm curious what the overhead is on this. Um, if it's something that, that runs in production without, without slowing anything down. I haven't even played with it. I haven't even seen it. Yep. I need to try. He's been, you know, updating it periodically here. It's kind of mm -hmm. nice. So definitely should try that and check that out. It's yeah, pretty so, handy. So it's showing the size of a scope in kilobytes, the number of keys, the number of sessions. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yep. Have to Just play with that. Great, useful little numbers, you know, quick reference. And I like the fact you can see them across all the different contexts as well, all the different servers. Yeah. If you're running multiples. Okay, we have a blog post from Julian Hallowell as well. Hallowell as well. Um, forcing Lucy to recheck the physical paths of application to find mappings without a restart. And so Ben Nadell actually had this post over a year ago where he says, this stop mappings and expand path are not working in Lucy. And so what it boils down to is the confusion that when the application first runs, it checks to see if a path exists. And if that path doesn't exist, then the mapping basically just gets ignored and then the mapping becomes uh you know a normal mapping where slash test becomes inside the root inside the root of your so app. it kind of caches yeah and exactly it caches it until the next restart of your server and so that's kind of oh, you know i think i've run into that before where i'm fiddling with mappings and i can't get them to work and i'm like what the heck is wrong and i restart and it just magically works and you kind of scratch your head and go that was weird yeah so and all these mappings if the folder doesn't exist it'll basically just put it inside the root of the app. And then since it's a mapping, it caches it and then you're stuck. Huh. So interesting. If you put a new one in there and the folder exists, no problem. It, it checks for new ones, but existing mappings are cached. And so I'm sure that's a performance uh, benefit, but yeah, that's interesting. And if I zoom in a little bit here, you can see as an example of how you can actually recheck application mappings. And so, but if you go through the, page context and get config and get the application mapping and you loop through them all you can do a mapping.check on each one and then it'll recheck it it'll basically force it to to go check all those paths again so that's a, a backdoor that uh, julian found he raised the ticket for it as well so so just to confirm this is created when you physically create the folder on disk after you've asked lucy to expand the mapping at least once is that right no when the app starts it, it does all because it's in the this dot mappings it does it all then apparently okay so my question stands but slightly modified this happens when you create the folder physically on disk after the app has started is that Correct. right that's that's okay. what seems to be the the confusion point and that was found by ben and so yeah so julian was just explaining the edge case and then showing the workaround which interesting way to get in there so yeah cool. i see he also has a, a ticket he put in uh yep. for lucy as well so i know it's running long but i wanted to wind you up here with a tweet so uh -oh. let me share this one so there's a tweet from brad wood where everybody misunderstood what he was talking about <laughs> i don't know they misunderstood they all just had their own <laughs> stuff to add um <clears throat> yeah you know i was i've been working I'd been playing with this for a, a client um, and I just wanted to point out that cold fusion, let me, let me back up. When you use file read in CFML to read a file, the entire file gets read into memory 
all the way and then you get to work with it as one giant string, right? So if you have like a 75 gigabyte log file, you know, and you do file read on it, like that entire thing will be read into RAM and then now you have one giant string that represents that, um, which may be fine for, for tiny files, but that doesn't scale well. And I was working with a client that did these massive imports and they would have, you know, million line files and they, want, and they were reading them in one line at a time. Um, and I wanted to point out that in Java, it's very obvious. I don't even know that there is a way in Java to read an entire file in at once. It's just not what Java does. Uh, you know, you get a stream and you, you know, you do read line or read line or read character, you know, and you can build it up through a buffer. Um, a lot of people don't realize that ColdFusion has the same functionality that Java does. Where you can read in a massive file, but just one line at a time. Um, and that's the file open file is EOF or into file, uh, file read line and then file close. The only, the only downside is it's incumbent upon you to make sure you call file close. Otherwise, that file handle will be left open if, you're, if your page quits and it never closes that file. Um, and that can be, that can be problematic. Um, but no matter how big the file is, you just keep calling file read line and you get one line at a time. So if you're you know, parsing through a you know, XYZ gigabyte file, it all goes through RAM at one time or another, but broken up as a bunch of tiny little strings that as soon as you're finished can immediately be garbage collected. So it's a lot faster and has a lot more overhead. Now, as, as people were pointing out, there's like 11 trillion classes in Java that let you do this, but every possible imaginable way. There's like random access files. There's things let you read from the end of a file. Um, but if you're just doing basic like line by line, um, I really like these functions. And I, I was playing around with them um, just with some massive files where um, this would be an interesting thing to blog. Uh, I was playing around with it where I had like 20 threads that would all like simultaneously be processing the file line by line just to you see how it performed. And I didn't test it on Adobe, but on Lucy, uh, I was actually quite pleased to find out that the file read line method is inherently thread safe. You don't even need to like lock it. So wow. if two threads both say, all right, give me a line, go, they won't get the same line. Um, it'll internally take care of a locking. So whatever thread, you know, wins, gets one line, and the next thread gets the next line, uh, which is pretty sweet. So um, anyway, less overhead, doesn't fill up your memory as much. And um, it's, it, it's the same as using the Java classes. But as part of the Twitter thread we're discussing, when you create a Java class in ColdFusion with CreateObject and you call methods on it, there's a nominal amount of overhead in Java Reflection, which is used to be able to dynamically call Java classes. Um, it's not very noticeable for just a handful of calls, but in some sort of tight loop where you're doing, you know, thousands, maybe tens of, th tens of thousands of calls to Java methods, you can actually have a fairly noticeable performance buildup of all those additional reflection me methods. And so these being first class um, built-in ColdFusion functions don't have any of that overhead, but you still get the the low, you know, memory profile of reading a giant file in line by line. So anyway, That's that was cool. just my little PSA the other day. Yeah, I know reflection is bad and it causes you a lot of trouble. I didn't think about it on every single I wouldn't loop say call. it's bad, but okay, it's it can overhead. cause you some <laughs> overhead problems. I, I mean, one of the times that, it, that I really had problems with it was when I was doing uh, real-time automation with my Raspberry Pi, right? I have a little, uh, little uh, hat with the LEDs, you know, and it was scrolling words across, right? And so I had a super tight loop that's, you know, calling Java methods in the Pi4j library like, I don't know, 10,000 times a second or something, you know, updating the LEDs and the reflection was killing me. 
just because I was, you know, I was calling, like I said, like 10,000 times a second to update it. Um, you know, and while it may have only been three or four milliseconds of overhead per call, um, you, know, you multiply that by 10,000 times, and you're like, okay, that, that's unsustainable. And I ended up having to work around it by using some different APIs where I could send through like eight bits of data at once as opposed to one, but whatever. You know, the point is there is a point where you can call underlying Java objects so much the reflection cost adds up. So yeah. anyway. I think we did that on CF Collection in the old days too. There was, you know, we were using all the underlying Java calls for stuff and it was mm -hmm. giving us some headaches. Anyways, yeah. next up, um, so we have a safer and more dynamic call fusion page caching with Mr. eCache. So that was another one from uh, Steve Bryant. And so if you're not using Cashbox and you want something lightweight to help you with some caching, this might be, uh, you know, a good tool for you. And he, he can actually, funnily enough, he says, uh, he likes the Mr. eCache that way. So he names his files, uh, and if you're on Linux, well, sorry, you just have to suffer with the case, the case sensitivity issues because he likes it that way. <laughs> Plot twist. What if it's supposed to be pronounced mystery cache? Like, oh, ooh, a mystery. mystery cache. That's kind of cool. I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> but yeah, so he just talked about, you know, <clears throat> looking at different data and using keys and like parts of your, um, your URL is part of your cache names and stuff. So if you have a regex on the cache, you can pass in the ID equals eight example, for example. So you, or your products, even on the same confusion page that they wouldn't, you know, basically be using the same key name. It's just how cold box, like cache box uh, or cold box handler, uh, caching. We use the RC scope. So your URL variables help generate a unique key for it, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, it helps you do targeted caching and you get some examples. So again, if you're just wanting a little bit of caching in your site, maybe this is a good option if you're not wanting to jump into something like Cashbox. Um, so but yeah, nice little helper method. So it's like Cashbox Lite almost. So <laughs> he's got a good little series building up here on caching. Uh, so if you come check it out here, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, quite a few. He's really got a good little stack there. So, so Steve Bryant, thank you for sharing that. And our last blog post, uh, we'll cut you off early for this one, Brad, but we've already talked about yeah. command box release candidate. Yeah. So, so we can jump through that one, but test it suckers do yeah, it. Test it. <laughs> okay. So next up we have find a job. And so get cfmiljobs.com actually has zero new jobs this week. We have zero because last week we had eight. <laughs> so I guess they've uh, all been filled. No, it's just haven't been reposted as new ones. So they're still on the oh. site. You can go check them out. Um, there's 32 positions open right now from 20 companies across 16 locations in five countries. So quite a lot of uh, good job opportunities there. And yeah, also 30, 32 postings right now on the site. Yep. And so if you're looking for a job, definitely go check that out. Order Solutions uh, is still hiring. I know you've been interviewing Brad. Uh, are we still looking? Are we still accepting new applications? Um, you know, I don't know where it's we're still at on the site. So in that, I don't think we've actually made any final determinations. Uh, so I'm sure if you're still interested and you want to shoot a resume over, um, you can still do that. Yep. So if you go to autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash careers, we have information there. And the big thing is, is we require US time zone availability and you must be a US citizen or resident or have a work visa to work in the US. So, 
other than that, um, we got a lot of good opportunities, get to work with a lot of great, smart people. Um, so it'd be good fun and a good job opportunity. So definitely check that out. And then we have a, another job, which we're getting more details on. So they're coming soon, but Brian, I always never know if I'm saying his right. I've never right. said his name out loud. I've only read it in my head. <laughs> Giornelli, uh, He's basically with the motorsports registration website. Uh, he spoke at a lot of conferences, but he always, I'm always say his name wrong. It's like Giardelli's uh, chocolate is what I always think of when I see his name. I'm like, nope. I think it's Grian Gidinelli. Gidinelli. So uh, I just sorry, know Brian, he always from... had the cool racing website. I yeah. mean, I always go read his blogs, and he had the sweet like race car. Orange is my yeah. favorite color. This. Yep, and he's, he's he races uh he races cars and his. Is Cold Fusion website. It's a SaaS service for uh, motorsport registration for races and everything. So I always see his stuff on Twitter where he's racing all these awesome cars. Anyway, they're looking for a full-time remote um, developer, um, looking at contract or full-time. So we're getting more details soon, but I want to mention that they're looking. Um, and as soon as we have details, we will share that. But if you if you know Brian uh, or know him on Twitter, reach out to him, um, and I will share more as soon as we have more. But so thanks for Brian for reaching out about that job opportunity. Okay. Next up, let's talk about Forgebox module of the week. And this month, uh, this week, not month, this week is command box git protect. I didn't so even recognize this one. Is this new? Yeah, I always look for the new one. So this one is a oh, new yeah. one. It came out last week. I haven't like looked at the site for new modules in a couple of days or yep, so, or so command box git protect. So apparently when you're doing command box 5.1, when you do a box install, it'll overwrite any package where the current version does not match the installed version, which is the way it's supposed to work, right? Um, the only issue is, is if you actually like uh, clone from a Git repo, a lot of times there's a placeholder for the version number instead of the actual version number. And so if you actually do a box install, it'll wipe that out. And so this module basically just checks to see if the existing package is a Git repo. If it is, it won't let you override it when you do a box install. Yeah, I remember this now because Seb had talked to me about this um, and I added a feature in command box 5.2 to allow him to be able to do this. Because yep. he had reached out to me a while back and he wanted me to change the default behavior. And I had said, no, I like the default behavior and you're doing it wrong. Because um, <laughs> what, what they're doing is... Uh, uh, preside extensions they were or plugins whatever they call them they were working on they would check them out right there inside of their their working directory uh, and it would look like an installed you know dependency but it would actually be a, a git checkout um, and they didn't have their version numbers they had placeholders anyway um, I told him he should change his workflow um, and you know use use symlinks or, or change the the numbers but I said that's fine if you don't want to change your workflow how about I modify the uninstall interceptor so you can pass back a flag and you can say, no, skip this installation. And so it's all come back to me now. That's exactly what he did is he, his module listens to that on install interception point, And then it goes and runs its own custom logic and says, whoa, hold up, skip this one. You know, don't install this guy, just move on. And then, you know, the command box core looks for that flag that comes back and intercept data and just passes over it and goes to the next one. Yeah. So, I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, sometimes when you are working with a, a repo, it may be useful 
Uh, a lot of times you can just put that in the modules app folder yeah. as well. That's what I do. A lot of time I'll put it in the modules app folder instead of the modules folder. Therefore, command box doesn't install. But then if you have it in your box.json, it's going to install a module there and then you'll have two and then you'll have issues. <laughs> you know, pros and cons. But yeah, yeah that's kind of what I mean. The win for me on this is, you know, being able to use interceptors to modify core behavior. So. I still have it the way I want it. Now he gets it the way he wants it. Everybody wins. Yeah, and obviously he put that out in Forgebox so people can use it as well. It's not just him. But he could have just written for himself if he wanted to, but we appreciate it when you when you do that. So before we jump into the, the next one, which is our VS Code hints and tips and tricks, we wanted to mention that Zach Spitzer is in the live chat, and he said his little memory uh, tool uh, was real-time with no overhead. So that's really cool. So the... The memory analyzer showing it, you know, how the server memory and everything's broken down is all over, all real time. So I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. That's gonna be useful trying to figure out why my stuff is. Uh, yeah, I think I saw what it called size of, which is a, a Java method that'll guesstimate how big an object is. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. Okay, so next up, we have our VS Code hints, tips, and tricks of the week. And I cannot believe that we have not done this one yet. What? So our VS Code Coldbox extension, which <laughs> we've had out for a long time and we've been Sorry. doing 75 hints, tips, and tricks of the week, and we hadn't mm -hmm. talked about our Coldbox extension. So it's a Coldbox platform bundle for VS Code. It supports platform five and six of Coldbox. And um, the cool thing is it's not just Coldbox MVC, but if you're using Wirebox or Cashbox or Logbox, there's features in mm -hmm. here that you can use. So we have Code Insight, so um, most of the Coldbox and TSBox functions. So Code Insight for that. We have Code Skeleton Snippets. Lots we of have snippets. Code Handler. Even, even handler has like ORM Code Snippets, which yep. is pretty cool. ORM Code Snippets and Wirebox Snippets. So all these little features in there, if you're working with uh, Coldbox, Wirebox, Cashbox, or Logbox, uh, this will definitely be a, a really good little extension for you so yeah i like all these tab completes the funny thing is every once in a while i'll name a variable or something that's probably shouldn't be named that and i'll hit tab and i'll get something interesting pop up <laughs> like what the heck was that where'd that come from i'm like oh yeah probably you know i have a test box one where it's based on some of the test box bdd names and i've written some stuff and hit tab and i'm like that's not what i wanted <laughs> so but but yeah, so that's a, a really good platform um, extension. So definitely check that out. Because we've already mentioned the VS Code command box one. We've already mentioned the VS Code test box one previously. But yeah, we never focused on code box extension. So now we have. Okay, so next up, we have our Patreon supporters. So we have uh, a lot of Patreon supporters now. We actually had a, three or four new ones last week. And... And so I know that a few people are actually supporting us on CFCast instead of Patreon. So uh, I would, you know, list both of them, but there's too many people on CFCast to name. So I can't do that. <laughs> but uh, let's go through and we'll uh, I'll have Brad read out to our Patreon supporters to thank them for supporting us with their own hard-earned money. So. All right. Thank you to Ben Nadell, Brett DeLine, Carl Von Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dolly, Dan Carr, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Didier Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Edward Cabezas, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, 
Joseph Lamry, Kai Koenig, Lasma Tiratodati, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ross Phillips, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mathur. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. Yep, really appreciate it. And your money goes towards this podcast, first and foremost. But uh, obviously, supporting us helps support Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Content Box, Test Box, and all the other boxes. So, Okay. Well, um, also, somebody asked for the blog link. Which blog link? I know we got what you lots talking about, here. Willis? Oh, the, oh, the Brian. One. Okay. Yep, we'll send that out here. Got it. Yep, get in there. So I'll send that out. And then, um, yeah, definitely appreciate everyone tuning in, listening. Thanks, everybody, for coming uh, and watching. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.